All right, all you dads, welcome back to another episode of Biz Dads. It's been an incredible couple of weeks hearing some feedback from some of our close friends and even some people who have randomly found us online, which is awesome. Uh, we started a Twitter account, so keep an eye out for that, biz-dads. We'll be sending all kinds of funny stuff out between podcasts. We've got a great show for you this week. We're going to talk a lot about what's going on uh, in our home state in Georgia. we got a lot of sports talk to get into. We're going to share a little bit of our cul-de-sac chat for this week and our highlight reel. And we'll close it out with this week's Final Four. Let's get into it. Another episode of Biz Dads. All right, Andres, I don't know about you, crazy week in my house. I have decided that my car is where goldfish go to die. Um, <laughs> the, the cracker, that is, not the actual goldfish. But uh, driving around today, I realized that my car smells of two things. It smells of feet and Cheetos. And <laughs> I can't get the smell out, no matter what I do. I believe that the place to invest your money coming out of the pandemic is going to be in car wash and air freshener because there's not a family out there who's not going to need to do a deep clean of their vehicle to just you know, those rides that we're all getting out of the house and trying to just go kill time. Yeah. My car smells of it. That's for sure. What's been going on in your world, <laughs> Brad. It's nice to catch up again. Well, I thought this week I would share Something funny from the past week here at home, the Sendate Familia has been enjoying uh, some Saturday kickball down the street. So it's fun when you uh, when you get out there playing with, you know, three little kids. My wife and I played with uh, Maximo, the youngest one, Renzo, and uh, Francesca, our older one. And I don't know if it was just the inner competitor in me came out, but two of my three kids ended up crying because I, I think I was aiming a little high and hit a couple of them in the face with the, uh, you know, the red ball you grew up with on the playground. So we've been having some fun kickball tournaments uh, with just making our way through. Um, you know, I know we're going to get into it here in a minute, but it looks like Georgia's going to start opening up the economy. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to go down the street, I think, and, you know, maybe get a tattoo or, I don't know, go bowling. I don't know. Yeah, very essential business opening back up the bowling alleys. I um we we've got to get our six year old Andrew his well checkup right. We have been uh, we have not done it for two reasons. One, we don't have to do it. He doesn't have to go to the doctor. But two, he is so bruised up from bicycle wrecks and falls and fights with his brother that it looks like they may call defects on us if <laughs> we do actually take him in there. So we probably need to wrap him up and um, either put him in long sleeve pants on a cool day. Or, uh, or let them heal before we do get this thing scheduled, even if the doctor's offices do start doing well checkups again. Well, I mean, I think there's been a lot less injuries. I just think there's probably a lot more people that are just dealing with it at home. Get some ice, rub it off, you know, you'll be fine. We like are. the old question our, our dads used to ask us, are you hurt or are you injured? <laughs> no a lot more hurt. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like walk it off. That's I've said it more times than not. We can't go to the emergency room today. I think we talked about that last week. We actually had an incident where Andrew fell out of a hammock. I hooked up in the backyard, cracked his head, and had a little gash in it. Probably could have used a stitch or two, but uh, we decided to just use a good old-fashioned you know, wet cloth, disinfect it, and then uh, throw a little liquid bandage on it. It's in, under his hair, so it'll be a scar yeah. when he cuts his hair like this 40 years from now. 
Yeah, Maximo had a couple falls this week. He got a shiner on his forehead. We we were out walking and he decided he wanted to, you know, play in the stroller. So pace plant on the concrete. But, you know, he picked himself up and tears and crying later. Fortunately, no broken teeth. So we're all good. Yeah, we've got a couple more weeks of this here. We did you did mention that um our governor, Governor Kemp here, um yeah. who the southern governors are getting a lot of flack national national media wise for how they're handling all of it and we'll have to see what happens. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show, but one of the things that's really interesting is how people are going to start reacting to to these businesses that are opening up. And we get into it later. I really want your opinion on our cul-de-sac chat, how people are going to respond to that. So we'll have to talk more about that. But another really interesting thing I saw, and I don't know if you've, you've checked this out or not, I actually bought into it and donated a little bit of money towards it. But is this all-in challenge? Have you seen the all-in challenge? No, tell me. Uh, Michael Rubin, owner of Fanatics, basically called on all of his best buddies, and, and you've got you know the Tom Brady's and the Peyton Manning's of the world creating these packages, and it's pretty fascinating. They're all creating these one-of-a-kind, once-in-a-lifetime packages to spend time with individuals or to invite them to things. Ruben actually put together a package where it was like two tickets to the World Series, the Super Bowl, a suite, the Super Bowl for 20 people, um, NHL Finals, NBA Finals, Masters, and this whole thing. And you could go in and make a donation of $10. For every dollar, basically, you got a bid. You know, Donate $20 and get 20 entries into winning this mega package and then they have some where these they were so high profile they were actually auctioning them off i think tom brady's opening day um experience at tampa bay he goes to dinner with you and you know you hang out and all this stuff um it was like a fifty thousand dollar opening bid so hopefully they're raising some pretty serious money i think they were trying to to raise something like a hundred million dollars and they were crushing it right off the bat but check it out it's really cool the all-in challenge and uh, if you, some of your top celebrities are probably posting on Instagram or Twitter if you haven't seen it. Really cool. If I could yeah. have Justin Bieber sing One Less Lonely Girl to me at my house, there's a lot of things I would do for that. You could bid on that right now. Go to the All In Challenge. I'm doing that now. Donate your 10 bones. No, I mean, I think, it, I think it's a great, ex- I think it's a great, um, I, I I have to say, like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm impressed. I mean, I think, look, there's a, uh, it looks like you could, I mean, you can hang out with celebrities and sports, entertainment, music, um, whatever your, uh, whatever your deal is. So I think it's yeah, pretty awesome. You know, it's kind of this, I see, I've seen a lot of these things of like people posting that when we all come out of this, we're going to realize how non-essential athletes and lawyers and all this stuff is. I think it's, I mean, there's balance, right? These athletes are going, are doing some really good stuff between creating the content that's entertaining people giving uh, their own time and money and influence. Um, this is a great cause, man. And they're doing good work and raised 15 million so far. So, I mean, you know, it's helping all these frontline workers. There was that awesome, uh, global concert last week. I don't know if you caught some of it. I think it was on Saturday night and, uh, yeah, I watched. I think I watched most of it, and I thought it was, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, and and they they were able to recognize and work in. I think a lot of the frontline workers did introductions of all the uh, the stars, which was which yeah, was neat cool. to see. We're doing. Um, we're actually working on one called Room Service, which is uh, on YouTube across the nation's uh, group of of networks on YouTube. 
um, this weekend actually, and it's it's more electronic. Um, I think there's some Latin and hip hop, and we're helping them um, try to gain some partners and sponsors of it. But it's really cool. You see all of these different festivals, and then you've seen a lot of these news outlets actually starting to keep track of where people can can tune in to check some of these out. Really cool. Great segue into uh, talking about our first topic here for the week, Andres. You know, we at Trenches do a lot in the sports biz. I know you're a diehard sports fan. Your your Chiefs are Super Bowl champs. You, your Rock Chalk Jayhawks are arguably the champs of the 2020 unplayed, non-crowned um, NCAA basketball champions. Depending on, I'll take know, it. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I guess the the Virginia. Cavaliers get to carry it for another year. But, you know, for us, looking at what's going on in sports, I have talked more over the last week about what just people's opinions are of the future of sports and what it means for fans in the stands. And as some of these these states start to open up, um, you know, what are we going to do? What do we expect stadiums to look like? Um you know, if you look at the revenue associated with it, fans in the stands equate to about 25% of the NFL's revenue and about 75% of college football revenue. What I find interesting is, is that the time where we're going to get sports back to the normal? So when you start thinking about, you know, our capitalist economy and our country here, NFL being the, you know, the 800-pound gorilla, is that the, is that the point? Is that where people decide we have to start putting these sports back on TV with 75% of their revenue coming from television? I don't see there being any way that the NFL doesn't start up on time. Um, You know, college football, it'll be a little interesting to see what happens considering they need people in the stands. The student body, the student environment is such a vital part of the experience. I mean, when you talk about ESPN and, and... you know, Fox and CBS, man, it's huge, but they got to have fans there. They, they got major donors who are putting money into, you know, getting in those stadiums. How are they going to survive? So what are your thoughts, Andres? When do sports come back? When do we start seeing games on, you know, major sports on TV? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been thinking a lot about that, not only because of this show, but also just from the, the fan point, um, I know we're going to talk about some of the stuff that's out there that's trying to fill the you know live sports. But, you know, one of the things that that I've been reading about and just trying to follow is how the leagues are trying to look for alternative start dates. And when you really dig into it, what you kind of figure out is that the commissioners and the the league officials and the TV people are all trying to come up with these alternative plans where they can at least get the players um, on the court or on the field or uh or playing and then second is you know can they do that with fans um and it you know you've seen all these different ideas thrown out there um and every sport's different i mean i saw the pga has announced that they're going to try to come back and start playing i want to say it was in later in the spring i know nascar's got an event that they're planning but I just I, th- I find it hard to envision a scenario where, you know, you get baseball like back, you know, in the next 30 to 45 days. Well, and the tra- maybe these they yeah, the travel and these alternatives that you've been reading about where they're going to, you know, do a three state 
location where the players travel amongst, you know, Arizona and some neighboring states, you know, putting all the NBA players in, you know, one hotel and playing, you know, a playoffs or finishing the season out out there. Logistically, it just seems complicated. Um, then they're talking about the tests and, you know, how do the players feel about that and how frequently would you be testing people? There's just so many questions that it ends up being more of a scenario um, game theory exercise than, you know, what's actually practical. And, and my estimation is that a lot of those things are going to be for not. I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to see who almost who blinks first. Are stadiums going to customize themselves to the fan to, you know, make massive investments? I mean, if you think about some of these venues who are going to have to go look at future-proofing themselves from something like this. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine in the NFL who actually said they are running a manifest of their stadium at less than a third of their capacity, you know, a 70-plus thousand-seat venue, so that they could have six feet of separation and rows in between each fan. You know, one, is that the kind of fan experience? Can you imagine going to a Falcons game or a Browns game or a Chiefs game and your closest buddy is four seats away and there's nobody in the row in front of you? And if you spill a beer, it doesn't land on anybody. You know, I mean, it's that's a crazy thing to think about. Plus, if you've got 50,000 PSL owners in your stadium and you can only seat 25,000, 30,000 people, who gets to go, Right. What's the priority? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you would say that the person's paying the most PSL, but that's not exactly fair, and you get a lot of pushback on that. So I think what's going to happen is they're going to start looking at things like air handlers and um, contactless you know, amenities, and the investment is going to have to be made um, be, you know, for them to future-proof. Because it's not about just getting fans back now this year within the next three months six months 12 months whatever it's what happens in 2026 what happens you know god forbid that that people see how this thing has responded and this becomes the new kind of warfare i mean you've got to future proof these buildings and 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 that's what's going to be the most fascinating to me is the expense that goes with it because the expenses are all going to be passed through right psls and season tickets and merchandise and all that the fandom's there i mean the atlanta falcons i think sold close to a million dollars worth of merchandise in Jersey sales alone when they launched their new Jersey last week. So, I mean, how in the world are, are they going to accommodate the fans who want to get back in there? It's, it's something to keep a close eye on because I think the stadiums are going to be forever changed. It's been good to see that the, that a lot of the stadiums, even the ones that are, you know, owned by the cities or the, you know, the municipalities uh, that the workers are getting, you know, wages paid through, it seems like most of them through May, but back to the stadiums themselves. I mean, I know that you followed the, you know, the virtual reality uh, and the growth of that business pretty carefully and closely at trenches. And, you know, one thing that could come out of it is that there's opportunities for stadiums to do packages, maybe with fans you know, to go to a certain number of games, but they get a virtual reality opportunity to watch, you know, games at home, things like that. Um, I just think they're going to have to get mo much more creative more quickly than they otherwise would have had this never happened, right? So if you were on a five-year, a 10-year plan to kind of create a, a fan experience that 
embraced all the digital and technology. I feel like that timeline has just now been condensed down to like a year or two. Well, you talk about virtual reality. I mean, that's a technology that is probably dead in its tracks right now, simply because you, nobody's ever going to put anything on their face. Um, Even way, if you own it at home? I, I don't, I mean, maybe. I think it's still going to be so, people are going to be so aware of that now. Um, mm. If you just share it with your wife and kids and it's quarantine, but then what kind of experience is that when you invite friends over to the Super Bowl or you know, the, the Kentucky Derby or whatever. I mean, you've been to our Derby parties. It's a big thing for us here. I'm, I'm going into the first weekend in May, and I'm going to have, you know, mint julep hives because I'm not going to be able to watch the ponies run for the roses. But, I mean, that's just such a, I think, augmented reality, people on their devices. Some of the things that you started to see in television broadcasts comes more to life on multiple screens. I think that'll probably be something that is very much um, – impacted and, in, and enhanced through this uh, i'll be watching on my tv and i'll have multiple screens up and it'll provide me everything from gambling stats to you know uh, you know injury statistics etc all of that's going to happen you mentioned nascar i mean nascar right now it is it's said that or, or the rumors have it i don't think they've officially announced it but supposedly they're going back to charlotte in may 24th which is what four weeks from now for the first for the coca-cola 600 for the first race without fans in the stands um as a as the league that has had the most success during all of this with the iRacing you know the virtual broadcast that they've been doing you know a million million two viewers on linear tv going back first is a that's a big position for them to take you know it'll be interesting to see how fans engage i mean it's it's a great experience for them to watch but there's a lot of you know engineers and crewmen and you know media and all that that's going to have to be there that's a still a really big crowd yeah i mean i think states are also i mean we'll get into we talked a little bit about you know the states in the south georgia and some of the neighboring states um starting to reopen their economies gradually but i also think as it relates to sports that states are going to start to try to create incentives for leagues and teams to you know to, to locate there. You talked about North Carolina and, uh, and the, the Charlotte Motor Speedway. I think Texas has also been in the news and their governor, uh, Greg Abbott, coming out talking about, you know, wanting to put on a, a race with no fans. And I know they're planning, um, I think, the Charles Schwab Invitational in Fort Worth for, for later in the spring. So there's, a, there's definitely, I think, going to be states that are going to be using this as an opportunity to say, hey, come here. We're open for business. You know, what an impossible seat to be in as a public leader in a situation like this. I mean, we talked about our governor and we talked about some of the, the flack governors are getting um, for stances they're taking or decisions they're making. You can't be right in any of this. I mean, if you wait too long, people are going to criticize you. If you're too early, people are going to criticize you. It's a tough position to be in. It's the same thing with these sports, these leagues, and it's why China has delayed the opening of – of their basketball league now three different times, I think, um, at last check. So there's no easy decision to be made, that's for sure. You know, something else that I'm looking at and keeping a close eye on, it was hot before all of this, was the NIL, name, name, image, and likeness that was happening. You know, each state, you know, most of which their legislative sessions probably ended a little early because of all of this. This was a hot topic. You know, how states were going to react to allowing student athletes 
to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. States like Florida that I think took effect or take effect July 1. I think Florida was the first. It's going to be really interesting to see how this is all impacted. You saw a couple kids this week bypass college um, and go straight to the G League. Um, yep. I think two of the top players in the country. You know, this this pandemic is going to impact things like that. There's some there's companies being created in this terrible economic environment. There's companies being created, you know, right now that are going to be part of that process, creating you know open forums for for brands to attach to athletes. That's the kind of stuff to keep an eye on. Um, you know, it's close to our our fest because we're constantly looking at ways that we can enhance our business, but. That's not one that we've jumped into just yet, but it's really interesting to see what happens because when we're talking about naming rights at the college level, um, well, I mean, how does name, image, and likeness, NIL tie into that? What can you do to work alongside the student athletes? It's some interesting conversation to be had there. So just interesting stuff I've been checking out. Um, Yeah, real quick on the, on the, uh, on the, the G league. I mean, I, uh, I'm a big hoops fan and, one of the you know one of the things that uh, anybody that follows college basketball has has noticed for years is that there's been a lot of one and doneers and programs like Kansas and Kentucky, Duke, you know North Carolina, et cetera, have benefited from being able to pick up you know one or two in Kentucky's case, maybe three or four of these kids every year. And I do think that this development league that that they're designing, it kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start in the NBA G League, and I think this this one they're putting more money. They're going to elevate the competition, and you know this particular year, you know, kids probably that have the ability to do the one and done are going to are going to look more closely at that program uh, to to go to the development league just because a the money is better, and b they're going to have you know great competition playing against other G G league teams uh, and they might not play a full college basketball season or it might be limited in some respects. So this was just like the worst perfect storm for programs that were recruiting those kids. I mean, these, these high school kids don't get to finish their senior year and they're going to continue on a non-traditional path off topic here. I think the Gatorade sponsorship of what was the NBA D league is still one of the greatest sponsorships out there to make it the G League. But what the NBA is doing with that, when they're supportive of that and they're supportive of the WNBA, it makes them probably the most well-run um, league in all of sports. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they they cultivate that, you know, that landscape. How do they continue to still work with the NCAA and the college programs, um, but give these kids opportunities you know they no longer have to go to to europe to play or australia uh, mm-hmm. interesting to watch so yep. some, some cool stuff to keep it you know keep an eye on um i saw i think my sponsorship of the week award goes to uts the if you've never had uts potato chips one of my favorites but the premier lacrosse league which in its own right is a phenomenal story you know there is an indoor lacrosse league and an outdoor lacrosse league for the longest time, the outdoor lacrosse league, which is the traditional lacrosse. That's one of the fastest growing sports across the country. Um, they struggled. We had a team here in Atlanta that actually just folded shop, but one of the, the top player in MLL major league lacrosse started the premier league, the premier lacrosse league. 
and brought most of the best players with them, um, similar to what our partners at Major League Fishing have done uh, with the Bass Masters Classic. They did a sponsorship with Uts where they were they did all social content. They took their eight top players, and they were seeing how how many cheese puffs they could catch in their mouth in 52 seconds. So I've never felt more connected <laughs> to a sponsorship than I did that because I think I could win it. I really do, Andres. I think I could <laughs> dominate the cheese puff game. That is uh, that is unique. I like that. Creativity has come out of this, man. I mean, what's the most creative thing you've seen in any industry, not just sports? I, I think that is the most fascinating thing is people have taken time. Time has been the builder of creativity. It has been fantastic to watch. Um, how so many talented people have done different things or gone about things in a different way. I don't know. I mean, there's just so much, there's so much stuff to, uh, to kind of think about and choose from. I mean, I don't know, just to pick up on the sports thing that you're talking about. I mean, look at, look at Tom Brady. He, I have to throw a shout out to my boy, Patrick Mahomes. He just became the number one, uh, Jersey sales in the NFL. Uh, I guess licensing, they track all the numbers. And so Pat Mahomes was number one. But number two was Tom Brady, and then I saw late tonight um, across the wire that uh, Mr. Gronkowski was traded down to Tampa Bay. So they're getting the gang back together down in Florida. Dude, you know, Bill Belichick wins again. That's guy, pretty creative. That's creative. The guy is not even playing. Yeah, there's rumors that he'll come back. Who knows if he's going to be in top form? He's had too much WWE experience. He's probably had a, too many boots to the face. I don't know. But regardless, Bill Belichick wins that trade. Um that's creative, man. That guy continues to find a way to beat the system, in my opinion. Oh. Draft coming up, and that's it, right. This is two things to keep a close eye on. One, how many people are going to watch? I think people are going to be so thirsty for sports. It'll probably be the highest rated NFL draft ever, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But if the production's probably going to be terrible, there's no way they can they can have that many different streams and things working perfectly without a bunch of errors. I, I'll be fascinated. Well, I mean, remember last year, the Nashville uh, scene when they did the draft there? I mean, it was just awesome to to see how many tens of thousands of fans showed up for their – I mean, that that was really cool. So, I mean, this is going to be different. I mean, and people gonna at Vegas, home – They're going to be in Vegas this year. So you had the Vegas effect to, yeah. to all of it. It's a shame that that's not going to be there. Hopefully they'll find yeah. a way to get back to Vegas because I think they're in Cleveland next year and a couple of crazy places. But I, I had heard. Who do you that, like? Uh, who do you like as the top few picks, Brad? Well, I mean, I think um, I hate. You know, I'm a Browns fan, as as you know. The rest of you can either stop listening or send us your comments to make fun of me. But uh, <laughs> lifelong Browns fan, um, diehard. I'm raising two boys to be Browns fans, so I'm teaching them to deal with disappointment very early in their life. Um, we, we're going to probably see Joe Burrows go to, go to Cincinnati, right? Um, who's in our yeah. division. That's going to yeah. be tough to watch. And then Chase yeah. Young's going. I mean, Chase Young's probably the best talent out there. He, you know, there's going to be a lot of trades. I think there'll be more action um, this year because of the, the craziness. I think the full moon effect will take place. There'll, there'll be just be moves happening left and right. Uh, thing I did hear which was interesting and he's going to make it even crazier is that no decision maker from any team can be in the same room together. So the general manager, the head coach, the owner can't be in the same, same physical room with one another. So they all have their individual war rooms. How are you going to make a decision? Like if you and I were doing this right now, 
how do we spend enough time talking about the right guy on the right board, not have a miscommunication, and still get it in under the wire to get our picks in? And doesn't it sound crazy? Yeah, you're right. The production of this is going to be maybe more interesting than the actual draft. I mean, because I mean, a lot of these teams have known kind of who their top, you know, few guys are. And I agree with you. Burrow goes one, probably Chase Young number two, and then, you know, I don't know, a bunch of tackles or, you know, offensive linemen um, who I don't, you know, I don't know. But I think, uh, but I think you're right. Like the production side of it probably is worth, you know, for me just tuning in just to check it out. I think a lot of people feel the same way. Um, something to keep an eye on. Check back here for next week's uh, take from Andres and Brad. <laughs> um, all right, let's jump into something different. Let's get into this week's cul-de-sac chat. Andres, um, I'm gonna jump on my soapbox here, as I haven't like I haven't been doing that on sports the last thirty minutes. But with the news that our our governor is opening up the state a little bit, hair salons, um, you know, nail salons. Uh, some sit-down restaurants, bowling alleys we joked about. One of the things that's going to be really interesting to me is how people respond. And I think a fear that I have is that the selfish or the selfishness within individuals starts to take over. One of the things I hope comes out of this is people remember how we felt during this you know five-plus-week period. The ability for people to think about others and to not just go rush out and hit the hair salon to get their color and their manicure and then the grocery store and then sit down in a restaurant and carry all of this, you know, for lack of a better term, contamination from place to place. How do you think people are going to respond to this? What's your biggest fear as it relates to these things starting to open up and how are you guys going to deal with it as a family? Cause I know we've talked about it. My wife and I have talked about it. Um, I'm interested what the Sendate's plan is. Yeah, no, I mean, you raise a lot of good questions. So I I've been telling, you know, my uh, neighbors, when we get out and talk in our front yards, that this pandemic and shutdown has had obviously a human tragedy that is just hard to even kind of get your arms around. I mean, to even think about just how impactful it's been globally. And so many of us know somebody who's who's been sick or hospitalized. And then just all the families and such that have been impacted by job losses or furloughs or pay cuts. And then you start thinking about where do we go? Like, what's what's the next chapter? Like reopening the economy and getting back to normal. Because everybody has said from the very beginning that this is like something that's knowable. We know when, you know, when the virus is over per se, right? And there's not as many new cases and we've got more vaccine or we've got a vaccine or, or we have more testing. But nobody um, has as many answers when you start talking about, well, when are you going to feel comfortable you know, going to the movies? When are you going to feel comfortable going to the grocery store without <laughs> gloves and a mask? I've always said that I think it's very personal, right? So the choices you make in your house might be different than the choices that somebody makes, you know, different than, than the choices somebody next door to you make. To your point about whether you're being responsible or not, that's going to be where I think there's going to be a lot of head scratching kind of happening and where, you know, you observe those people out in public where, you know, they're clearly like sick or coughing and they're not taking any precautions. I mean, I just think that there's going to be a general level of discomfort with that type of behavior for the time being. I know for one, like our family, you know, we're not rushing out, let's call it Friday or over the weekend to, you know, a lot of the businesses, not that we wouldn't want to support them, 
but a lot of the businesses that are going to be opening here in Georgia, things like hair, you know, hair salons and nail salons and things like that, you know, Heidi gets her nails done here and there with my daughter. You know, that's a fun little outing that they go do, but that's just not happening. And then when you read like articles with a lot of the owners of these businesses, a lot of them have just as many questions. You know, they're like, do we have the right safety precautions in place? You know, do we have enough PPE or should that be going to people at hospitals? I just think a lot of the the thought around how to actually execute an open uh, safely and in a way where your customers feel safe, it's a lot harder to implement than saying we're open for business. Yeah. So well, I just don't think it's going to be this big shotgun start. And I don't think there, I look at this much more philosophically. When you and I talk about this kind of stuff, I think there's a level of logic to it. There's a level of unselfishness. There's, there's some compassion for others. And I really believe that there needs to be more uniformity in how we all respond to this, that we can't be, we can't be selfish, that we can't think about ourselves, that we can't rush out and say, you know, I have now made the decision that it's okay for me to go out because if everybody made that made that decision at the same time, we're all screwed again. And if this thing comes back, it's going to be a lot longer and there's going to be a lot more impact. So even with restrictions being lifted, even with trying to jumpstart some local economies, which I totally support, um, sure, you still have to think long and hard about how you're going to go do it. I don't feel like we, I'm only speaking for my family here, have been terribly impacted by not being able to go out and sit down at a restaurant. My wife and I have made time to, to have our little dates. Um, we've made time with the kids. You know, we've done takeout to support local businesses. I, I've seen local businesses are creating new ways to deliver food or to help us out. And they're probably benefiting from it. I think the people that aren't working, yes, they are suffering. But I just think we all have to think long and hard about the long-term effect of this and have to be unselfish. I'm going to use that word way too many times over the next couple of weeks because if we all are just a little bit more empathetic if we all are just a little more sensitive to the impacts that, that all this has i mean we'll probably come out on the other end better off well yeah and you you're looking at uh, a lot of businesses that might not come back from this pandemic and right so i think another word that keeps coming up for me is just the gratitude right like the small business that you drove by and, you know, you just sort of took for granted, right, that it was always going to be there. That's somebody's livelihood and several jobs, maybe four or five jobs. Um, maybe it was an auto mechanic. Maybe it was, a, you know, a hair salon. Maybe it was a, a dry cleaner. All of those small businesses, um, hopefully they're able to, you know, get to the other side of this thing. But I think just being grateful that you have a community that can rally and you have people in the community that, Hopefully, we'll we'll find ways to step up and help. There's been unbelievable outpouring of support, you know, not from just celebrities. And of course, like stuff you see on TV and the you know the the uh, the thing you things we were talking about at the beginning of the show, but just you know local stuff, helping out a neighbor. We talked about last week, you know, giving gift cards to the people picking up, yeah. you know, recycling and trash, just little stuff like that. Hopefully, that kind of thing will continue. Uh, to grow over time and people will find ways. And I agree. Like, I think the health component of this, the data component of it, um, it's hard to talk about without it getting political. Um, and this is not a political show and not the forum for it. So I think just from the health perspective, you have, 
you have a lot of people that aren't like for you know example in georgia or in the states in the south who are calling me and they're like your state's reopening i can't believe it like what are they thinking and you know they might be halfway across the country in a you know and they might just be reading like a little snippet of news like i just hope that there's a there's a um a recognition that this thing is impacting people differently it's impacting states differently and um you know regions within states differently and so i just think everybody needs to take a deep breath and hopefully be responsible and uh follow guidelines that are put out there as much as those seem like they're changing day to day yeah well you know a little longer cul-de-sac chat than normal but but one of the things that, that i'll end with um and please respond if you'd like but when when 9-11 happened you know we took this great american pride in that we'll never forget right and um two years ago not to get into the details but two years ago i had a life-altering um experience that uh i i said during that time and i prayed about you know making sure that regardless of getting my health back and all of this stuff that I would never forget how I felt in that moment when I was going through it, how I felt then always remembering that so that I, I reacted and responded the same way and used it as fuel. I really think we've got to remember how everybody felt right now, sitting at your home, the time you spent with your kids, the relationship you've built with business, the relationship with your neighbors, the, the support for your local businesses, that pride that you felt, I think that has to be something that we never forget. That has to be something that we use as fuel to move forward. I'm in the process of writing something right now that, you know, is, is relevant for me in my industry to kind of create some social content, LinkedIn content, that kind of thing. And it's gotten me motivated because I really hope people will remember the relational aspect of this time together, calling old friends, calling old colleagues, re-engaging, worried about people, and, and using empathy. People who may not be normally empathetic probably became so during all of this. So hopefully they don't forget. That's a soapbox-filled cul-de-sac chat. One of the things I think is fun about this, Andres, is we're going to have plenty of time to talk about stuff that's funny, and, and you know me well enough to know that I'll, I'll jump on that soapbox and get a little emotional from time to time. But changing topics a little bit, um, getting into what I think will be a fun segment for us here as we go week to week is the weekly highlight reel. Um, you know, doing some reading throughout the week, I saw a couple interesting articles. I know you did too. You've blessed us uh, from the previous shows with some great facts and figures. I saw a really great article this week um, on how COVID-19 has actually impacted people's uh, you know, media consumption habits. Um, and, and, and breaking it down by generation. We're going to post all these things on our website and we'll post some links on our Twitter page so everybody can check it out. But absolutely fascinating to see how, you know, us uh, Gen Xers have, um, have consumed media, gotten a lot more into broadcast TV, linear TV, than we had been shying away from. Where Anne, who sits on the fence between uh, millennial and Gen Z, doing a lot more online stuff. And talked about her, her TikTok. She gave us the lesson last week, and I just think it's really fascinating that a lot more people are changing the way that they consume media. Pretty fascinating. So that's one of the interesting things we'll drop uh, on our webpage this week and on Twitter. Andres, you had a great conversation uh, we were talking about earlier. 
that you were you were talking about the the market and the stimulus. What's happening? You know, with that first round coming to a close, what uh, what are you reading this week? What was good? Man, there has been so much stuff out there. It's it's hard to pick just a couple of things. I mean, I'd say just in terms of business and what's going on in the economy, you know, we're not driving right now. Pretty much the only place you're driving is, you know, maybe to go pick up carry out or something like that. So there is an abundance of oil around the world. And so the market had kind of had a little rally for a couple of weeks. And then this week and part of last week sort of hit the skids a little bit. And a lot of that is due to fears that oil, which has just absolutely cratered the contracts uh, for delivery of, of oil in, uh, in May and June have just cratered, hitting some of the lowest prices in, in almost the last 20 years. And uh, the fear is that, you know, with the crash in oil, that that could have kind of a spillover effect to these big energy companies and uh, lead to, you know, the need for more lifelines from Fed or from, uh, from Congress. So that's something that I've been following just because I work in the in the financial markets. And, you know, anytime you see oil, you know, contracts trading where they're actually paying you to take delivery of a barrel of oil is kind of hard to believe. And then another thing that's kind of interesting that's, you know, been in the news quite a bit is that that first round of stimulus to the small businesses out there has been, you know, has is gone. And so I've been following that story over the last week or two, and it looks like the Senate has passed another nearly $500 billion package of loans to support hospitals, healthcare, and small businesses. And I think something to watch will be the scrutiny that uh, will be put on companies that, um, that receive loans. You may have seen a story that came out this week, late last week, where Shake Shack got a 10 million dollar uh, loan from the Small Business Administration and decided to give it back. And I think you're going to see right. more scrutiny of public companies, in particular or large companies, whether or not they, quote unquote, needed the stimulus or needed the loans. So that's something that I'm going to be paying attention to here over the next few weeks. That Shake Shack story is great. The fact that they they have such leadership that I think is so vital when you talk about leadership in a time like this. They went out and secured additional capital investments and were able to give that money back without spending a penny of it. Pretty fantastic because that's a lot of money that'll go to other businesses that are very much in need. Um, twist, 11 years ago, I really thought that I could have used what you read this week. So if <laughs> I could renew my vows, I'm going to do that if I can get by. Tell me a little bit about what you were reading this week because I think this is fascinating, very close to my heart. So on Instagram, I saw that people and couples have been posting photos with the hashtag Bush Wedding Gift. And I guess a Bush beer is offering one year supply of beer to couples who've changed wedding plans amid coronavirus. So I am very jealous of people getting married right now because I would love a year's worth of Bush beer because it is low-key my favorite beer. I saw that and I sent it immediately to a friend of ours whose wedding was postponed um, because of all of this, and man, I'm telling you what, I could crush some Bushlight beer back in the day, Andres. It was key oh, yeah. Bushlight. That's what got me through the good old days. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that I played a lot of fast pitch uh, growing up. I still play every Fourth of July. That's a topic for a future uh, a future podcast. The uh, the oldest the oldest 
Mexican-American men's fast pitch tournament in the country is played in Newton, Kansas, where I was born and raised. I've been playing since I was 15, but that's another uh, another conversation. But um, yes, when I was of age, and I promise uh, mom and dad, not before, but I, when I was of age, there was, uh, there was usually a cold bush light waiting for us after uh, playing uh, out in the sun. Let's hope CNN fact checkers are not on biz dads, because I think that fact check of you actually drinking it of age, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if that's that's real or not. I think it, what is it? Eighteen? No, it was twenty-one. I guess. Yeah, I started uh, at fifteen, but not the bush light. <clears throat> yeah, man. So you're hearing it here first. If you had a wedding that was uh, postponed and you had to reschedule it, call Bush Light, man. Get the Beast. That's what it's called back in the day, the Beast. And you guys don't know nothing about the Beast. That was a good beer. Never heard of it. That's what we call Bush Light, <laughs> the Beast. All right. I call them Bush Lattes. <laughs> Wrapping up this. Let's see. There's nothing more millennial or Gen Zer than calling a beer a latte. And we should a end beer this a latte. entire we should end this entire podcast because of that. That contribution. Wow. Because there are dads gagging all over right now with their precious beast being blasphemed by being called a bush latte. God bless America. That's why this podcast Man, is so tell important, you. brother. This podcast Things is gonna have bring, changed. It's gonna bring bring normalcy back to the world. All right, this totally week. Totally agree. Wrapping things up, the final four, something you and I probably need, and we probably should start re- requesting comments on each episode because we need more of these things. Parenting hacks, your top four, final four parenting hacks. I'll tell you one that I jumped into this week. We have been fighting the fight that everyone is fighting, and that is screen time, brother. Too much screen time, and my kids turn into absolute monsters if they've had too much screen time. So today, we signed a contract. Both boys, 10 things that they needed to do every day that range from making their bed to cleaning the dinner table to being respectful and kind to each other and us. And they had to sign it. And if they broke it each day, they lost screen time, tablet time, everything. So it says worked. Day one worked. That's my parenting hack. Number one, what you got? Man, it's along the same lines. I give credit to my boy, Sal. He, uh, he and I were talking about this. And we've created a chore chart. It's a visible, you know, piece of paper. All the kids can see it. And it's just the basic stuff that, you know, kids that are probably at least three or four years old ought to be able to do, you know, just picking up after themselves. But we pay them a little allowance at the end of the week if they do their chore the entire week. So that chore chart, just a little a little visibility, they can go up, they can check their name off if they did their thing, whether it's, you know, throwing the garbage, helping load the dishwasher, helping, um, you know, wipe down groceries, whatever it, the case may be. So that's been helpful. And then another one is just carve out time one-on-one with each kid. So with our littlest one, getting him out of the house, away from the screen, where he's not just totally destroying like the first hour or two of school in the morning for the older two has been has been big. So I still away, do some conference calls, put them in the stroller and just get that one on one time. So that that's been good for us. Yep. Number three, that was that was ours, too, man. Separating the kids. It took us four weeks of school, but we finally decided that we needed to separate the kids. Different floors of the house. Ben's down here with me in my office. He has been so much more productive. And mom has been working with Andrew upstairs. That's a good one. Separating those kids, man. Sometimes they need their alone time. Sometimes they got to just be, you know, not distracted. Um, totally. But number four takes the cake. You have set up a a little Sendate localized economy. Yeah, I'm like. making money 
yeah. being at home. Number I mean, four. I'm fortunate to have a job, but number four parent hack for the week is, you know, we all have bills and who likes to pay bills? Well, you can actually have your kids help pay your bills. Here's what we're doing now. I'm taking the power bill and the water bill. Those two come reliably every month, no matter what, unfortunately. And when one of my kids leaves a light on, I get that bill out. And then we go to their piggy bank and they pay me out of their money that they've earned doing all these things. And I put that bill in front of them and help them to visualize because they they can see, you know, how much mom and dad are, are paying to, you know, have running water. And so if they leave a faucet running or they forget to turn off their shower or whatever the case may be, dad's making money. So I think it's helped. I mean, you have to keep doing it over and over, but that's my number four for the week. And, you know, I don't like the fact that they're leaving lights on and, you know, leaving the water running, but hey, my, uh, my coffee fund is growing whenever I can go back to my old coffee place. Hey, man, real-world scholastics, right? I mean, teaching these kids that they're not going to learn in school. We got them in homeschool. They got to learn a little street sense, too. Those bills don't stop. I love it. Yeah, they can start paying the Netflix bill or whatever the next bill is that's going to be, Twist. too, if they leave the Netflix on. When you leave that room tonight and you leave your light on, you go upstairs and pay your dad a dollar because he deserves it. <laughs> he has paid your way too long but you got a big chore coming up you're back at home now mom and dads this is this is we'll call this number five for the final four this is your extra point your overtime what are you doing Ann? yeah i would usually have nothing to say for a final four topic like this but since i'm living at my parents house i am back to the high school ways where if you want to eat that night you have to do your chores so with a house full of girls someone's got to cut the grass so that's what i get to look forward to tomorrow sounds like a great another a great twitter post you need to send us a picture of that We'll throw that up on Twitter and show our listeners how Ann cuts the grass. <laughs> hey, great episode. I think we're, uh, we're in under an hour. Um, you know, again, this is a lot of fun for me talking about this stuff. A lot to cover. So we went a little longer <laughs> than normal. Episode three is in the books. Andres, great job, man. Good job, Brad. Enjoyed it, Twist. As always, look forward to doing it again. Twist, have fun cutting this one up.